You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got two guys from totally different parts of the country, but they both have similar passions, and that's chasing after deer, being in the outdoors, working in the industry. And so on the show are Josh Dutton and Jimmy Jarapito. Now, Jake is from Wisconsin. I mean, like an outdoorsman's paradise, really. I grew up there, as you know, there is so much to do up there all all year long. Whether it's ice fishing in the winter, they've got sturgeon spearing opportunities. They've got amazing fishing and the hunting. I I feel like I don't even need to say a whole lot about it. You know, whether it's bear or starting to give out elk tags, wolf tags, whitetail deer is a no-brainer, waterfowl, you name it, they've got it. And these guys are both in the industry right now, they work for Half Rack, which is a company, it's like a lifestyle and gear brand that, I mean, they've got all sorts of different stuff. And so we're going to dive into their adventures in the outdoors, their journey with Half Rack, what they're doing now, and it's going to be a great episode. So if if you want to hear seriously different sides of the spectrum when it comes to places to hunt, the amount of land you hunt, this is the episode for you. I'm excited about it. Let's jump in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show are two guys. Um, they 
they're part of half rack which i've just recently been introduced to it seems like a really awesome outdoor brand um but josh dutton jimmy g welcome to the show thank you for having us dan appreciate it absolutely um why don't you guys start out by sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourself maybe uh where you're from uh a brief hunting history and your role with half rack uh jimmy you want me to go first yeah probably works out (laughs) (laughs) all right um josh dutton so i live in wisconsin southeast wisconsin i have uh been in the outdoor space for uh, probably now 15 or 16 years kind of behind the scenes i work mostly in sales and marketing so i've worked for distributors manufacturers um retailers done a lot of different things inside of the outdoor space so I'm still currently very active in that. Obviously, we got Half Rack, and there's a number of other companies that I work with in the sporting goods industry. So, just kind of a lifelong passion of mine and diehard bow hunter for the most part. I do a lot of rifle hunting as well, but uh, primarily whitetail deer with a bow. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, my name's people call me Jimmy G, like Dan mentioned, because he's going to have a little bit of trouble pronouncing my last name. So, my full name's Jimmy Jeraputo. I grew up in Long Island, New York, bow hunting the suburbs mostly. And now I live in uh, central Virginia, been in the outdoor space. I think it's coming up on about two years right now, um, right after I got out of the military. Um, basically, I've done, I mean, accounts big and small for all social media management and marketing and branding um, and a ton of graphic design. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, kind of in line with Josh, I'm mostly a bow hunter, but definitely done my fair share of gun hunting uh, upstate New York and um, down here in Virginia. So that's me. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, what what part of Long Island are you from? Um, I'm from the town's called Center Mariches, so it's eastern Long Island. It's like two hours from the city. So thankfully okay. not near that place. But <laughs> yeah, I spent I spent a summer uh renovating a couple houses and clearing land in brentwood and uh, that was that was interesting yeah that's uh, the jungle a, over there <laughs> concrete jungle <laughs> yeah it was it was totally different than anything i've ever been around so uh i'm i'm glad i'm not there anymore yeah <laughs> um so how did you guys get connected i mean you've both been in the outdoor space for for a little while now and um where did where did the idea of half rack come in because you guys kind of have a mix of everything i've seen a ton of outdoor brands that have come out and it's like just a t-shirt right or like Mm -hmm. they'll start with that where did you guys start and how did you uh develop it to what it is today so half rag actually started probably when i was like 18 or 19 it was actually like a little group of guys that we had that we hunted together in uh, mostly wisconsin we did a little bit of traveling but it was more like a hunt group than it was anything so we didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to film videos and stuff when that was starting to become cool. And um, we had, I actually developed or got the LLC formed. So it was probably like 2003 or 2004, somewhere in that time, not really knowing what it was going to do or what it was. I mean, more or less, we were just had no idea what we were doing, trying to film and run around and add t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, but as I got more involved in the outdoor space and started working with some different companies and um realizing that there was probably a spot in the industry for a um like an opening price point type accessories kind of catch-all brand 
that like what we say has a soul and is a company that people can like root for and cheer for. Like we literally want people to put half rack stickers on their trucks. Right. So that's what we're going for. And there's really not that brand in what we do currently that you have, like you don't see anybody out there putting a honey made easy sticker on the back of their truck or anything like that. So what we're trying to do is be a brand that kind of has a community, um, be a purpose, you know, has a soul. Um, when we first started, uh, we got with 2% for conservation immediately. So we're 2% certified. So that means we give back 1% of our time and 1% of the revenue that we make every year, right back to conservation efforts. So it's, um, you know, it kind of formed just, I mean, it formed a long time ago, but it's, it's totally changed from what it originally formed as, you know, as more like a hunt club type little thing that we had to now, a you know, manufacturing some 30, 40 different items now for the, you know, total outdoor space. So between tree stand accessories, shooting accessories, apparel, we kind of run the gamut. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's cool to see younger guys jumping into the market because as I'm sure with your guys' experience in the outdoor industry, the outdoor industry is kind of slow to the game on a lot of things. And it seems like every trade show I go to, they say the exact same thing. Very. People are behind. But what's nice is it gives people like you a leg up because you're like, no, I understand this. We're not going to wait until everything, like all the trends have died off to jump on them. You know, you can you can do it right away. Yeah. I I mean, Jimmy helps us out a lot with that because he probably he gives me a ton of crap with that. I mean, he's uh, help was I should say more than anything, because I am probably slower to those things. I literally only have Instagram because I follow it for the companies that I work with. So luckily we got somebody like Jimmy that's pretty, you know, on top of it and he can take advantage of some of the trends and stuff. But yeah, you're 100 percent right. Uh, Our industry, the outdoor industry, specifically like hunting and fishing they're very, very slow to move to any like of the trends that you see out there in like mainstream retail. So it's definitely an opportunity for us, you know, to, you know, be out there and, you know, try to access and, you know, get in front of as many people as possible because, you know, outdoor people are, you know, just as active on the social media platforms and all those other things too. So it just gives us a good opportunity to try to take advantage of that and, you know, be there for people and get our brand in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy. So, uh, what have you noticed along those lines? I mean, you've been, you've been in the creation space and the marketing space for a while. Um, what has that been like in the outdoor industry? Uh, in regards to like hopping on trends and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm glad you brought it up, Josh, but I'll hit on that is that (laughs) you see, you mentioned younger guys and I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm the young guy. And you know, half rack started, like you said, in 2003, I was five years old. So pretty young. <laughs> um, we, we don't have to talk about that too much. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, in regards to trends, I mean, honestly, I mean, ironically enough, Dan, like, I think one of the biggest ones that the hunting space has a hard time jumping on board with. And, you know, from a branding perspective, it's hard on how to attack and approach it. But then just from a kind of, I guess you'd say a traditionalist standpoint, there's the uneasiness to jump on board and that's TikTok. Um, And I mean, that's actually where I first found you and your podcast and what you guys do. Um, So for us, that's still a learning curve on one. I mean, it's asset management is a big thing. As we're starting out, it's hard to have the assets for that. And, you know, how do you approach 
And I think this goes for all brands to answer your question. I mean, it's one, having the assets Two, how do you approach something like that? Cause it's a very personality driven more than it is just brand driven. So um, I think where we stand is um, on that regard, cause that's kind of a hot topic is um, going for the numbers game to start stick a little bit more on the branding side, as in, you know, post generic hunting stuff, some stuff with gear, uh, just trying to get ourselves out there on that platform, because I mean, that's a whole younger market that, I mean, will hopefully be buying our products one day. And I think as it expands, we'll find where we sit in personality wise. Um, so I know, um, I mean, in case no one realized, like I've run all the marketing for half rack pretty much. Um, and I know Josh and I have discussed like trying to get our face on there, but I think my thought is, is that something that will grow over time? So for all brands in this space, that's kind of the balancing act between hopping on that new platform and knowing where Instagram, Facebook are going, you know, unfortunately it's kind of seems like the outdoor space is getting pigeonholed a little bit. Um, which is why we attack things like go wild um, because they're very much for, you know, brands and folks like us. So that's kind of our approach on things. And I think it's kind of a good way to approach it for all brands in the you know current time. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, as far as TikTok goes, it's, it's really funny. The mix of reactions I get when I talk about TikTok to people, um, you know, there's some people who are like, Oh, yeah, no, I don't have one of those. Um, or, uh, I mean, I was in that boat early on. I thought it was just where teenage girls go to do dances that their parents would be ashamed of, you know? <laughs> and, uh, when my wife told me to hop on that, I was like, yeah, that's probably, I, now I don't really want to. And she convinced me to, and it's worked out all right. But, um, yeah, seeing, seeing all the different avenues for marketing, uh, for brands to be able to get your name out there, like you said, to build to build that personality and and kind of that rapport with your your followers or potential um, customers in the near future. Um, there there's a lot at our disposal right now to be able to do that. Yeah, and the the barrier to entry is so much easier now because of that. I mean, you think like 10, 15 years ago, like in the era that I grew up in, really with marketing, it was Outdoor Channel and the Sportsman's Channel, and I mean. Yep nobody sits down and watches a 30 minute hunting video anymore. I mean, it's YouTube videos that are maybe five or 10 minutes, you know, Instagram reels, you know, all those types of things are just how people consume their outdoor entertainment now. And, uh, you know, the way of, you know, having a 30 minute TV show is pretty much out the window. I mean, you just, it's that, that continues to decline and, you know, the, the space that you guys are talking about right now just continues to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the culture has completely turned into a fast food um, like consumer as far as content goes, uh, whether it's audio, visual. People like to be able to consume a lot of content in a mm -hmm. quick period of time, which is why there are certain times where seven second videos just take off and go viral like yep. seven seconds. That's it. And yep. if you don't catch people's attention immediately, they're gone. They're they're on to the next thing. They're going to swipe right past you. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Nobody, there's very few people that sit down and watch TV shows now. And with all of the apps um, and all of the platforms out there on TVs, 
like you can watch you can binge watch everything because who mm-hmm. waits like for who waits a week in between watching one episode of the next i couldn't yep. do that like that yep. would drive me nuts at this point i just wait for the entire season to come out and go watch it all at once um, it's hard on guys like jimmy for content creation because of that demand though i mean you look at yep. like you know some of the popular stuff like on uh youtube like the hunting public right those guys are posting videos like what two maybe a week that's just like like that's a ton of content you're putting out there and it's a you know it's a full-time job so it, it it's yeah, you're right, man. It's the, everybody just wants more of it. And it's like driving poor people like Jimmy crazy because they can't get enough content done. So no, but, I, I, I know your world, man, like trying to put out content nonstop. And then like, if I go on a trip or I want to go on vacation with my family, I've got to front load it, have a bunch of stuff ready to go out for when I'm gone. Otherwise I have to get plugged back in just to get episodes out or get mm-hmm. social media deals out. And so um it's an it's a different form of work for sure like yeah. it's not i'm used to working with my hands so turning and doing something like this is way outside my ballpark um, well and with that too like you're talking about the mass you know amount of content to create especially for a lot of brands like it's right now i mean you're having to relearn what we've all kind of one taught ourselves and two taught our consumers is like you know, you go to Sitka or you can compare it to Yeti or then to Realtree. And it's everything from the image composition and tone to the copywriting is how you're portraying your brand. And on TikTok, I mean, that essentially all goes out the window because it's all about volume. Um, So that's like I said, like, I mean, it's hard. The barrier to entry there is kind of it almost becomes a pride thing for a brand because you're able to attack and approach it without having to put in as much effort, which is, you know, you still have to put effort, but in just a different sense. Um, But you're then kind of going against your brand values on some, some, for some folks. So it's interesting in that regard as well. But I think volume will probably be our starting point. (laughs) See how that goes for us. Oh yeah. Um, Well, (laughs) As much as I love talking about social media, let's get into some hunting talk uh, because you guys are kind of in two totally different worlds when it comes to whitetail deer hunting. Even even though you might both be chasing after whitetail deer with a bow, like going from Wisconsin, which is like insane high deer numbers, big buck country, like amazing, amazing habitat for them to Jimmy, you're talking about hunting the suburbs uh I, until recently i didn't even know that was an option like people are talking about you know they go and get a chunk of land behind a hardy's in the middle of the city and they shoot like 170 inch deer yeah and uh i i'd like to hear kind of the dichotomy between your two styles of hunting and what hunting looks like for you today yeah i mean i guess i'll start with uh the suburbs i mean that's really where I mean, I cut my teeth and thankfully Long Island, like I'm glad to have been from there and learn what I did, but I'm more glad to not be there anymore. Uh, um, but that's kind of a non-hunting perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a sleeper for sure. Um, I unfortunately personally have not killed any, you know, great, great bucks there, but to me, it's more about what gets me excited and memories made. And I grew up hunting with my dad there. 
Um, but you know, you're talking about people going behind the Hardys or whatever and killing giants. I mean, my uncle's killed my uncle's the, the big buck killer out of the group um on Long Island in the suburbs, and he's killed a handful in the 60s. He killed the 200 plus. I mean, but no one would know when you tell them Long Island, the first question they ask you, where the heck is that? Yeah. And then you're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll keep our deer there. Um, <laughs> but, and, you know, interestingly enough, too, then coming from there to, you know, ag fields in rural Virginia, I mean, it's I mean, it's a different ball game. Numbers are down here compared to there. Obviously, your approach is different. Um, but the running and gunning up in the suburbs is it's it's exciting. It is exciting. Um, it's very different, but. Jimmy, it's like, a, I, I don't know if it's this way or not. I don't know that we've ever actually talked about the style differences, you and I, but like, I imagine that you probably like for me, like on some of the farms that I hunt in Southeast Wisconsin, I pretty much know every buck that comes in and out just because of trail cameras and whatnot. I got to imagine like if you're hunting some of your pieces, your pieces, like you don't know what deer you're going to see. So every time you go in, it's like a different, you don't, every you know, time. yeah. I, we've never killed a deer that we knew. Um, we all, we never put trail cameras out <clears throat> where we went. Um, that's the thing is like, you know, you can get permission on these kind of like green strips is what we call them between, you know, houses and stuff. Cause so, I mean, I hunt mostly in the Hamptons, um, out there. So like everyone thinks the Hamptons are thinking rich people and next, uh, next to his house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not from there. Don't worry. But you know, huge multi-million dollar houses. Um, but you know, those people, they don't want to be like, you know, where you said, Dan, where you went like Brentwood, where it's, they're stacked on top of each other. So it's, there's much more land out there. It's a ton of timber. I mean, there is really no ag. There's actually only one field I know of, and it's just whatever native grasses were growing and the deer love it because they don't get that as much. Um, so yeah, we never, ever knew a deer we shot we never knew about them nothing i mean it's very transient and we kind of hunt a ridge top saddle between bedding behind some houses to the north and then we know that they funnel through down to the south where there's kind of like a swamp um i mean i've sat there and seen no deer and then i sat there on halloween not this year but the season before and saw 20 something deer in a day and uh a couple you know i say shooters i mean at least two-year-olds because again i mean if you're in there it's there's high deer numbers but there's high hunter numbers too just in those general areas so again that's like if it gets me excited we're you know we're going for it um and then actually that following day to give you some perspective it was daylight savings this was two seasons ago sat till nine, nine 30, didn't see nothing. And then within 10 minutes, me and my dad are sitting 90 yards apart. I killed a 110 inch 10 pointer and he killed a 130 inch 12 pointer and I watched him shoot it. So like, it can yeah. just happen like that. And we didn't know either of those deer and it was just from zero to a hundred. And that's kind of just the way that it goes there. That's so sweet. There's, I mean, there's a common theme between all hunters. I feel like and that is when that when that switch flips it's just game on and no matter where you are you could be in someone's backyard you could be in the middle of the mountains or on the edge of your property on a cornfield when when the deer start showing up 
something changes in every hunter, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's those cold fronts that push in and I don't know. I mean, it seems like now most people follow a lot of weather patterns and, and, and try to pick their sits, uh, really wisely, but all across the country, man, when, when October, late October comes, everyone kicks it up a notch. I feel like, Oh yeah. Josh, um, what's, what's it like up in Wisconsin? I mean, I, I've got a pretty good feel for Wisconsin, but yeah, I hunt, I'm hunting I'm, a lot of farmland up yep. in, up in the central part of the state. I've never, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the Southeast part. Yeah. Like I mean, down it, there? it's, it's two different spots to be completely honest. I actually hunt fairly close to where you do too. Our, our family owns some property, like pretty close to Eau Claire there too. But like in Southeast Wisconsin, it's really small blocks of timber because it's all ag, right? So you're hunting little fingers and, you know, just fence lines more or less. And you really are just, you're hunting transition areas and you're trying to catch them moving from bedding area to feed to wherever, because there's not big blocks of timber down here. Like you're not going to get on something that has, you know, 80 or 90 acres of hardwoods or oaks and stuff. It's just, well, they're, they, they're, they're round, but they're very hard to find. So, you know, down here in Southeast Wisconsin, the quality of deer is pretty good. We have, um, the potential of, you know, growing some big bucks, but we don't have the deer numbers like we do in like central Wisconsin. So you don't see, there's plenty of nights that I'll go out or mornings even down here and not see a deer, you know, 90% of the time I go out and I don't see a deer, which I'm totally fine with. Cause I'm usually going out there to see the one deer anyway. Right. That's what I'm kind of, cause I do hunt pretty careful around these particular farms where I'm not going to go in unless I really think there's a good chance at killing one of the deer that I want to kill up north in central wisconsin i just i'll go whenever and you know i just kind of go out it's bigger woods um there's still some ag you know in some of that private property that i hunt up there but of late i've actually been more uh, interested or having more fun doing some public hunting so one of the other partners in half rack tj eats comes up from indiana and him and i have been you know just trying to explore because there's so much public property up there um and you know, I don't think that we've ever ran into any other hunters, uh, running around and we've gotten some encounters with some really good bucks. So the property that I have up in that my family owns up in central Wisconsin, the deer numbers are crazy. I mean, you go up there and if you go sit one of the stands, we have established stands that have been there for 25 years. We kind of move them around a little bit just to get like, you know, so that those don't pick you off immediately. But if you go out there and you don't see 20 deer a night, you're doing something wrong. Right. And you know, the caliber of bucks are, you know, you can get them. There's some, you know, we're trying our best, but you know, most of them are going to be a two and a half year old is kind of the best you're going to get maybe 110 inch type deer. Um, but you're going to see so many does. I mean, you're going to go out there just the deer numbers are crazy. So if you want to go out and like, just have fun and shoot a bunch of does and see deer, that's the trip. And it does well for my psyche because I can, you know, come down Southeast Wisconsin, get my butt kicked for two months and then go up North and see deer like nonstop, which helps because when you're not seeing deer, it's tough. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's just kind of tells you like the difference in Wisconsin too. I mean, there's places like Buffalo County, basically straight West of me where the deer numbers are, you know, a little bit better where they are where I'm at currently and, uh, the caliber deer that's out that way is crazy. So it's two different types of hunts. I enjoy them both. Um, the one that's around here just makes it easy because I can literally just 
finish work and pack up and go sit in a tree stand on a Tuesday, which is awesome. So I, uh, I've kind of more or less focused on a lot of my hunting down in this particular area, just cause it's easier. Yeah. Not the hunting, but just the actually physically being out to get, you know, that time to do it. The hunting is actually harder, but the time is easier when it's close to your house. Yeah. It's, it's good to have that access. And I've got places like that where, you know, I can go and sit for the afternoon and I might see a ton of deer. I might not see any, mm -hmm. um, but just to get out there is always fun. Yeah. And it's hard. I don't know what it's like by you, but it's hard in Southeast Wisconsin, like where I'm at right now to get on property. I don't own the property down here. I just literally get permission. So when I started, I actually, when I moved back to this particular area, I grew up not too far from here, but when I moved back, I kind of did what you did, Jimmy, a couple of weeks ago, I printed off a ton of like letters and started mailing them to people and farmers and people that I knew to try to just get them to respond. And I started like on some of these properties where I would just, you know, Hey, they might have somebody that's deer hunting out there. They didn't want anybody out there. And they said, but you can come out and shed hunt, or you can come out and mushroom hunt or turkey hunt. And then you kind of progress into, you know, two years down the road, you're deer hunting out there and, you know, you know, the family well, and the farmers like you, and, you know, it's just kind of getting your foot in the door more than anything. So it's, it's hard to find the properties down here, but once you find them, you got to do everything to hang on to it. And, uh, hope that you're in a pretty decent spot to, to get some deer. Cause there's also areas around here where there's just, you can sit there every day if you wanted to, and the deer won't be there. Yeah. I, I had uh, <clears throat> a pretty bad scare yesterday. I went out to the hunting property that I do a lot. I mean, I waterfowl, turkey, deer, frog gig, squirrel, rabbit, like everything, right? It's about 30 minutes from where I live right now. And I got out there. Uh, well, actually, I was on a trip this last weekend. I got a call. I had a missed call from the the cattle farmer. There's a guy who leases most of it for either cattle or soybeans. And it was like, hey, somebody left the gate open. And I'm like, well, shoot, I haven't been out there. None of my friends have been out there. Um, so I give him a call back yesterday when I'm heading out to the property. And he informs me that this gate got left open and a bunch of cows got out. And somebody almost hit one of the cows with the vehicle coming up over the hill. And so, I mean, they were, they weren't very happy about it. So I, I informed him, you know, like, Hey, I was out of town. My friends weren't out there. We don't know who it was. And, uh, I called his dad. Um, they, they, they kind of partner in the cattle farming and the, and the crops. And his dad was like, yeah, uh, I think we're going to have to shut hunting down out here. Um, and then he goes for anybody except for you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like one, that just scared me to death. I thought yeah. I was going to lose like about 300 acres of hunting land. Ouch. And, uh, but also I love hunting with people. Like I love having people come out and turkey yep. hunting with me or, you know, I'll put them up in a tree stand and I'll, I'll head over to mine. And, uh, just to hear that, that now basically none of my friends have access to that property anymore. Uh, it kills me, but I'm also glad that I got to hold on. To yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, it's tough to get property. There's a ton of people that hunt here. Um, word travels fast. If a big buck is seen in the field and all of a sudden a bunch of people show up, but he put uh, the cattle farmer put locks on every gate out there all the mm -hmm. way around the property. And it's good because I've had people that would just show up opening yep. morning of rifle season. 
and yep. you'd see headlamps walking into one of the chunks of woods and i'm like who is this i have no idea who it is i don't think they have permission to be here um but also it wasn't my property so i didn't 100 yeah. percent know that they couldn't um i've found trail cameras i found a pile of corn behind my tree stand this year uh there were some guys logging in the in the timber right behind my stand and so i went to talk to them i was actually trying to bow hunt that day and i i didn't think too much of it i was like once they clear out the deer are probably going to come right back in yeah and so i went and i was going to go sit anyways and when i went to talk to them they're like is that your pile of corn and your trail camera in the woods and i was like immediately just like fuming inside i'm like nope it's not mine but also you can't bait here and that's too close to my stand so i legally can't even hunt here knowing that there's a bait pile behind my stand now Mm -hmm. and still don't know who the guy is i've got his picture Uh, i've got his picture on his trail camera multiple times but nobody knows who he is and so lots lots of stuff to deal with out here and i hear about poachers all over the place so it's it's amazing to me how many people have that same story you talk to anybody that's on like permission type property it's like almost a battle like you're constantly trying not to keep people off but you're just trying to understand who should be there and who shouldn't be there i mean i i had the same issues i had guys cutting battery backup cables to my cameras last year clearly on the property that i am the only one that has permission to be on and, and I've gotten into like verbal shouting matches with people that think that they can hunt the property because they've been on there for 60 years or whatever the hell. And they're, you know, like, well, I've been hunting here forever. I'm like, well, that, that guy doesn't even own the property anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, it's, it's a, everybody, like anybody you talk to at any length of time has had that issue, you know, where they've got just, you know, honestly, I think you're probably in the same sense as me. Like I, I know that it's competitive and I know the people that are going to be on the South side of me, North side of me, whatever are going to be out there hunting too. And I'd rather work with them than to have to like fight them constantly about where the property lines are, or how do you access property or, and all that stuff. So I usually always try to like introduce myself, come in like as very non-threatening as much as I can be about the fact like, Hey, you know, I want to work with you. I'll show you pictures of deer. Like I, I really, it's amazing to me how people it's unfortunate, like how a deer can pe- make people just not human. Like people yeah. lose their mind over deer. It's just, it's sad. in a lot and of it's ways, not even, it's not even like the guarantee of getting the deer, right? It's, it's how like a very small percent chance of having a, an encounter with that deer and then to harvest it makes everybody crazy yeah like it'd be like messing with you go in and you buy a lottery ticket before somebody else and they get upset with you because you got in line ahead of them and it's yep. like neither of us have a great chance at this all right like, <laughs> it's a good probably, analogy yeah we're both gonna buy a bunch of lottery tickets and we might win five bucks but that's about it and yep. we're getting upset with each other about who got the first lottery ticket yeah All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian, the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. 
Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. When you hear a lot of people with the same thing with public property too, you know, and I think that that's part of the challenge, like as hunters that we face in general, is it, you know, there's over the last couple of years, there's been a little bit of a boom where there's more people seemingly wanting to get in the sport, which is great. It's just, you know, now you've got so many more people out on public property or competing to get private property that you have scenarios like that, even on public property occurring where people think that they own a spot because they've been hunting there for years and years and years. And, uh, you, you know, basically they stake claim on it and nobody else has the, the right or permissions to go and hunt on public property. Yeah. I mean, you hear those stories too. And it's just, it's frustrating for me. Cause I just, you know, I, there's enough of you would, obviously we need more, but there's enough space where I feel like everybody can, you know, if they take that approach to things and just be like, listen, I know I'm not the only one out here try to work with people instead of against people or have the right attitude going into it before you go out there and start screaming and yelling at somebody else. It just, you know, it would make our, it would make for a better experience, I think, especially for people that are just getting into hunting. Yeah. I feel like, um, a lot of people get upset with neighbors that are bad hunters too. Like, even mm -hmm. if they're not hunting your property, Oh man, they shoot everything. They, yep. they do this, they do that. And I've, I've slowly started to adopt the mindset that I would rather have a bunch of people who are terrible at hunting as neighbors because it's going to push all the deer <laughs> yeah, smart yep. onto my property. You know, yep. like you guys can go out there and do whatever you want. And hopefully <laughs> all the, all the big bucks, the mature does, they all come over here because they don't want to put up with all your antics. Yep. Yep. hundred <laughs> percent. Or like shooting the small bucks or whatever you know, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, who cares? Like you can go out here and try to manage the herd as best as you can. And we tried for years up, uh, on our property up in, um, central Wisconsin. And it just got to the point where it's like, you know what, you could, you could spend all this time and money and efforts trying to, you know, get a deer to four and a half years old up there. And it could get hit on the road when it's two and a half or three and a half or whatever. So at some point in time, you're just like, you know what people enjoy it. You go out there and you, you honestly shoot or tag whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Jimmy, what's it like uh, down in Virginia where you're at? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure Long Island, it was, it was pretty difficult to find those, the right chunks of land. And like you said, it was high competition for them. Are you seeing the same thing in Virginia? Um, so, I mean, I guess struggles on both ends. Um, in New York, the struggle is, and the, also the large irony is that a lot of those folks have big deer fences around their property up there because they spend 50 to a hundred plus thousand dollars just on landscaping, probably even more. Some of them, they don't want the deer to get to it, but then you go ask them for permission and they're like, no, we don't like deer hunters. Oh, do you, what do you like less the deer or the deer hunters? Yeah. So, and then meanwhile, we've been, you know, 10 foot deer fence. I've watched a, two and a half year old eight pointer cleared it. I mean, just straight over the top. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it. 
So that was the biggest struggle up there um, down here. And this is kind of what I've been thinking about while well, y'all are going back and forth about <laughs> permission and writing letters. And I wrote letters and I wrote 20 or 21 letters and I got two emails back, both no, but it was just nice to know that they still took the time to respectfully say no, which was, I felt like, you know, on the human side of it gave me hope. And one of them was a hunter. And they said that, you know, I have similar memories to you and hope you have good luck, but we hunt here. And I was like, perfect. That's all I needed to hear, you know, and, and that's much appreciated, especially when you're putting yourself out there trying to ask for permission. Um, so I'm actually about to be moving an hour south and probably going to have to stick with public or knock on doors because obviously the letter thing didn't work. Um, but you're talking about the competition between people and down here, the biggest struggle is, is that you get into these counties where, I mean, that's people's whole lives. I mean, that's, it's that county and that's it. And they don't go nowhere. And here people hunt with dogs for deer. So that's one of the biggest struggles. Um, I mean, even if you're near public, because dog doesn't know where property lines are. Yeah. Um, a piece I hunted here this year, some has only been public for a few years and used to get pounded with dogs. So obviously four or five years is not enough for the deer population to bounce back from that pressure. Um, and with that, there's a lot of pride. I mean, I'm sure that's everywhere, but there's a lot of pride amongst hunters here, especially the dog hunters, because it's a tradition, it's a way of life. So it's actually, it's a, I mean, maybe this is just me, maybe, and I'll throw myself out there. Maybe it's a little bit of softness growing up in New York, but I am like worried to knock on those doors because they are not approachable usually. Um, yeah. and, uh, and you don't know who is, you know, who does dog hunt, who doesn't. Granted, I mean, you can look for the dog box in the back of the truck and then it's steer clear of there, but um, it, it's interesting. So, I mean, it'll be a rolling update on how it goes knocking on doors, but I actually was looking at HuntWise earlier and um, noticed that, I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, it obviously shows you where public land or state forest, but it doesn't color code it. So I was zooming in and looking for the ones that say WMA and realized I'm kind of blessed. Like I'm kind of in a pocket where I'm moving to um, that within 40 minutes, there's four different pieces of public I can go to um, ranging. One of them is neat. It's only 30 acres, which is kind of nice because I don't think anyone's going to think to go there for the most part. And I've walked through it. Seems like a great late October spot for cruising buck, you know, into November. Yeah. Uh, and then the other ones are upwards of a couple thousand acres. So um, although the struggle private side is a little bit tougher here, um, I can't say that I'm not lucky because I have those opportunities. So. Yeah. That's one thing I've never had to, had to deal with um, is dog hunting uh i've got buddies in the carolinas and they said they'll they'll be out there hunting and all of a sudden they hear the hounds and yep. it's like oh well here we go you know you're just kind of waiting for them to clear out and hope hope the deer come back um i i try not to pass too much judgment on it because i've never done it mm -hmm. i don't i'm sure i like i've always loved watching dogs work and even before we started recording we were talking about uh dogs and 
watching them do what they were created to do. And so I feel like it'd be, it'd be a really cool experience to see it once, but I can definitely see the frustration of living somewhere and trying to hunt a certain way, like trying to hunt smart with a bow, trying to target a specific buck. And then all of a sudden you hear the hounds let loose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with that too, you know, and I'm not afraid because it, I'm not afraid to bring light to it because I, you know, I mean, a lot of the industry, a lot of the industries in the Midwest or even the West. And so it's not something that people necessarily know of or deal with. Um, you know, I've done deer drives without dogs. So, you know, comparable, but not exactly the same. And I don't disagree. I think it'd be a ton of fun. Um, you know, especially late season, if you want to try to fill the freezer a little bit more and it's very built around camaraderie and watching the dogs work. Um, and I'm okay with it on that end, but to Josh's point earlier, um, it's the willingness to work together, you know, from my experience. Um, and again, it's a generalization, but it, it is held true a handful of times where those folks are not usually willing to work together with you. Um, and my biggest harp on it too, besides that is some of them, it's how they treat their dogs. Um, you know, like no one's going to treat an upland dog that way. Um, and it's not everybody. Um, but I think, I think it has its place and, and I don't see a reason it has to go away because some people are very much, it has to stay or the other side is it has to go away. But I think that there is a middle ground, um, you know, if resources were available or as more people talk about it to, you know, clean up how dogs are treated, how it's looked at um, and trying to work together. Um, I think it, it could have its place and I'd love to take part in it one day in a, you know, a clean environment like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be, I think that'd be cool. And th- just like any type of hunting or recreational activity as long as there's parameters around it right obviously dogs are dogs and a deer's a deer and they're going to run where they run and so mm-hmm. like trying to keep them on trying to tell a dog like hey you can't go on the private yeah. property that's just it that's not how it works you know no. but um luckily with the e collars and everything now uh you can track your dog very precisely mm-hmm. and most of them have you know, buttons and tones that you can click to basically call your dog off if they're trained to respond that way. And so, um, yeah, to try to figure out a compromise there um, and make, uh, allow for everybody in every style of hunting to have the best time um, out in the woods. Uh, I will say I have, I have unlocked the secret to getting access to, to private property. (laughs) And that is, I, I might, like trademark this or patent it and start a company off of it, but find a beautiful woman, get her all dressed up in camo and take her with you when you knock on doors to get permission. That's all it it takes. It works like a charm. And I, I stumbled across this. Uh, my podcast listeners have heard this before, but, uh, my, my buddy Andrew and I, we were going to go out rabbit hunting and he's got some beagles and I had the property that we could hunt. And I was like, you know what? He's going to bring his dogs out. I'm going to go see if I can get a couple more properties right before I meet up with him. It was like a Sunday morning, I think. And I called or I talked to my wife and I said, hey, do you want to come experience this? It's a lot of fun. Um, And she's like, yeah, sure. Well, 
I mean, everybody thinks their wife's good looking. I think my wife's great looking. And so uh, she gets all dressed up. And of course, she's the girl that's like, oh, my gosh, I have to curl my hair like we're going hunting and I'm going to take pictures. And I was like, hey, that's totally fine, whatever. So she gets all decked out in camo and does her makeup and does her hair. And I go and knock on a door and they invite us in for coffee and we're sitting there talking to them. And I kid you not, it was like, hey, this is the last day of rabbit hunting for the season. We love to rabbit hunt. We eat the rabbits, you know, explaining to them about uh, about rabbit hunting with hounds. And I was like, you know, would you mind if just for this morning, we'd probably be gone by, you know, noon or one. And this this old farmer, his name's Charlie. He goes, man, yeah. And we got geese on the pond. If you guys want to come back and shoot some of those, there's coyotes and deer. Like anytime you guys are more than welcome. And I'm like, I was literally asking for about four hours of rabbit hunting and he just unloaded every type of hunting, <laughs> told me I could use his property. So I was pumped about that. I said, Hey, let's go up to this other guy's property. His name is Dick. I've, I've talked to him in the past and had like permission to, to frog gig on his pond. And that was it. And so I was like, Hey, let's go see. I know he's got some good brush piles and maybe we could get in there. So I go up, knock on the door same exact response hey yeah anytime you guys want to hunt anything and i'm like my mind is blown right normally you go like two for 30 on permission if and, that. and that's just like for the thing you're hunting and here i go two for two and it's just like every season immediately became available to us and so i was like babe you're you're the key I am going to start renting you out to people and they can take <laughs> you around and you just go and, and, you know, bat your eyes at them and ask for permission to hunt on the property. <laughs> I like yeah. the use of the term renting out. I think there's, yeah, I, there's other terms I could have used and I chose not to. <laughs> you gotta just, just watch the verbiage when you put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll just 1099 her as an employee and yeah, it, it'll all be good. Well, I know what I'm doing this week, uh, this summer. So yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, if you just, it, it's like uh, we we used to joke that you could start a wingman company uh, where you get a puppy, like you rent puppies out to people, or you rent babies out and pretend to be the uncle, and you're going to end up getting a beautiful girl to come and admire your baby. It's a great icebreaker. Well, this is the exact same concept for hunting. So love it. I think we need um, to do a direction change, Jimmy, with half rack. I think we might have stumbled <laughs> out of something a little bit more lucrative. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you could go a lot of different ways with your with your name already. Um just <laughs> yeah, I didn't <laughs> uh, wow. This is we, we get those we do get those comments too. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Um, what it what does hunting look like for you guys this year? Uh do you guys do you guys travel a lot? I mean, I know you talked about hunting. Uh, your local areas, going back up to the family farm. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys do a lot of out-of-state hunts? Do you hunt as non-residents? Because I know in Wisconsin, like, I don't know, the DNR, I probably shouldn't even say anything because it's <laughs> going to affect me in buying non-resident tags. But I can't believe how cheap oh, I know. a non-resident whitetail tag has stayed in Wisconsin. Uh, I was yep. I invited a buddy to come over and hunt turkeys here with me. And now that everybody else lost permission to hunt on that property but me it's a good thing he couldn't yeah um 250 for a non-resident turkey license here in I missouri i didn't know that i go up to wisconsin i mean we're talking like 150 yeah i don't even know is it 150 
Yeah. It, well, I, it was yeah. like 120. I think they bumped it up a couple of years ago. To yeah. 150. And I'm like, dude, I'll pay that every day. It's funny. I actually have a buddy that's coming up and he's hunting with us uh, in May, the first week of May, I think. And he said the same thing. He sent me a screenshot of his license. He's like, surely this cannot be everything I need. I'm like, that's it. That's all you need. Yep. He goes, man. And I'm like, yeah. And the deer tag is not much worse. I mean, and it's, I think for first time hunters in the state, it's like 60 or 70 bucks just yeah. for the deer tag. So yeah, it's a, yeah, I've got mixed feelings on that. Like, you know, in a lot of ways it's good. Cause I think that the tourism and getting people in the States really good for a lot of businesses and stuff. And again, just more access, more hunting better. Right. So I'm in that camp, but in the same sense, you know, you're kind of like, you know, you go to North Dakota or you go to like Kentucky, you go to any of these other States and you know, you're spending $500 plus on a tag. And you're like, maybe we could do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. just a little bit to offset it, you know, a little, but, um, yeah, for the most part, I think it's good. You know, obviously I, you know, I think it's, it's great that you get more people up here and you know, the it's, there's a lot of opportunity too. That's the thing about Wisconsin is there's so much public property, you know, like up in your area there, um, basically everything North of that, like Eau Claire is public big woods. Yeah. And you can go run around and you know, there's, they, you know, it's gotten kind of a, a little bit of a negative, uh, feel to it over the last couple of years because of wolves and what they think wolves are doing to deer numbers. And I think there's a lot of debate about that and haven't figured out if that really is part of the issue. I mean, you can talk about that all day and I don't know that I want to get involved with that right now, but um, there's a ton of access. I mean, and there's deer. I mean, so if you put in a little work and even, you know, you get on you know, any of the apps that are now available to go out and find what those places are and you put a couple hours in, you're going to get on deer. Yeah. So it's uh it the state is uh, a good one for you know just trying to get access to and not having the worry about trying to get permission or um, you know have an outfitter or something like that because there's there's a ton of access and there's a ton of places to go and hunt. So I feel like I've kind of become content in my hunting strategy and it's turned me into a lazy hunter because I look at these guys like the hunting public mm -hmm. and they're going out and they're putting the work in on public land and they're finding these like honey holes out in the middle of nowhere and they they're not competing with anybody else because nobody else went back as far as them or looked at this spot yeah. in the same way they did and i look back at wisconsin and i mean i'm hunting a great county already it's it's private land you know i know who's out there i can i can do some management on it but every time i drive anywhere near the mississippi and i see those giant like wetland areas with the creeks and rivers running through and i'm like this is big buck heaven oh yeah i want one of these years i i doubt it's going to be this year but one of these years i want to just go up for like a week with a canoe and my bow and just try to chase a monster like off of one of the flowages that come from the mississippi yeah do you do a lot of out, out of state hunting then yeah i do quite a bit okay. um i do i mean i come up to wisconsin every year for rifle season i haven't come up for archery in a long time mm -hmm. um i probably need to start uh i go to colorado every year it seems like every other year i go to alaska um i do i've done texas twice this year i'll do florida here next month um so i i like to travel i mean that, yeah me and my wife and the kids my kids don't know what normal life is like it seems like every month we live somewhere different every yeah. week we're traveling somewhere different and they're like 
are we getting a new road? We always rent like a minivan or something, you know, if we're, if we're going to do a trip down to the beach or something and they're like, are we getting a new road trip car? Are we getting a new, I mean, they just have (laughs) no concept of what a normal life is right now. That's kind of cool. Man, I just love, I love traveling. I like experiencing new places. And if you told me like, dude, you can hunt giant bucks in Buffalo County and shoot 200 inchers every five years, or you could go and just experience a bunch of random types of hunts. I'd pick experiencing random hunts. I I love whitetail hunting, but I feel like every time someone shares their passion for a new outdoor activity that I haven't got to experience for myself, I want to. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat and that's kind of, I scratch that itch too. Like, so I go out of, you know, I have a really comfortable, nice setup hunting in Wisconsin for whitetails, but I do like to go out and explore and try, you know, to kind of hone in and in my mind actually be a better hunter and go to different places where you have to kind of work harder. So to me, that's how I kind of, you know, still get that challenge, I guess. And then I come home and, you know, settle in because usually it takes, it's usually early season when I go and do some of those hunts that are in different states or, you know, um, typically sometimes during the rut too. But I come back home to Wisconsin and it's like, all right, you know, now I can kind of settle in and, you know, take it easy because you got your butt kicked for, you know, two or three weeks out somewhere west or in a different place that you don't know and uh, makes that hunting when you get back home a little bit better. Yeah. I'll tell you, if if you guys ever need a false sense of confidence uh, on an out-of-state hunt, go to Kodiak Island for a blacktail deer hunt. And they are, it, if, I don't know how many people listen from Kodiak Island, but they are some of the dumbest animals I've ever seen. Like, we, my wife and I went up all by ourselves in the, we left late in the evening, got up to our spot around 11 p.m. and it was still light out and there were deer everywhere and they would just <laughs> look at you it was like i was in a park and yeah. we're i mean we're in grizzly country we're in salmon country we're on this mountain we can see the ocean from where we are and when we finally got our tent set up and went to bed there were probably 30 deer within 200 yards of us bedding down on these rock outcroppings and <laughs> i woke up the next morning and we slept in because uh, I shouldn't have, you know, it's opening day of season. And I ended up sleeping a little late. I woke up and by the time I actually got out of the tent, it was legal to shoot. And I step out of my tent to a buck at 75 yards. <laughs> and then I stop and I'm like, all right, that's a spike. And I talked to the locals and I was like, hey, what's a good representation of the species? Like, what should I look for? And they told me they're like anything bigger than a spike. like that's a good deer and they were still in velvet at the time. So, you know, that, that plays into it, but the road system tag that I had, yeah, they were like, Hey man, if it's bigger than a spike, you should shoot it. Like that's a good animal. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I couldn't look in a direction without finding deer. And then finally my wife sees this, uh, four point coming over the saddle on the mountain and it walks down and feeds with a bunch of other deer. And I shot it and it rolled down the mountain. The other deer watched it roll down and then went right back to eating. And I was like, man, I came to Alaska and I like conquered. And yeah, definitely false confidence because that, I know 90% of Alaskan hunts do not go that way. You just take those layups when you get them, man. Cause you get, <laughs> yeah. you, you literally get your, you know, what kicked for 
months on end. So when you get something like that, you don't even, you don't even feel bad about it. Just take it. No, not at all. I don't know how many listeners you have from Kansas, but I hunted, I deer hunted Kansas for the first time last year. And I kind of had a similar type of reaction to the deer. Like I I'm like, I, the deer I ended up killing, I could not believe, let me get away with what I did. Like the deer that I hunt around here wouldn't, I mean, it would have spooked off three or four times. I mean, he busted me like twice and still came in and got shot. I mean, it's just, you know, different area, you know, the hunting pressure is everything, you know, and there's places out there where I think, you know, they obviously aren't getting, uh, hunted as hard as, you know, some of the deer around here. And there's places that I've gone to where it's like, you blink and, you know, the deer's gone. (laughs) The deer that I was at in Kansas, man, I, literally got away with well I got away with murder like I literally could do jumping jacks in the tree stand it felt like and they weren't going to do anything about it it's cool to see people using strategies like that for I mean not doing jumping jacks in yeah the tree stand, but I, re- I don't uh, recommend that no seeing <laughs> even even like out in Colorado or Wyoming Montana uh antelope hunting you know they'll like wave a, a little white flag mm-hmm. and the antelope are curious animals and they'll yep. come over like wait a minute did I not realize there was another one of me over there? Like, let's go check it out. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, same thing with caribou in Alaska. Like, I've heard of people doing that. Uh, actually, on Meat Eater, I think Giannis did that at one point, where he's just, like, waving something, and this caribou turns. It was, like, quartering away from him, moving fairly quickly, and it turns and walks down towards them to give them a better shot because he waved something at it. And I'm yeah. like, what the heck, man? <laughs> and... Yeah, growing up in Wisconsin, it seemed like everybody had kind of the same strategy, but that's another big thing for me is just learning different mm-hmm. ways. There, There's 1,000 ways to kill a white-tailed deer, Yep. and uh, I want to know all of them, and I'd like to use all of them to actually make it happen. <laughs> yep, yep. Jimmy, you're going to tear you up tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, down uh, probably like two and a half hours from where I'm at, so the boonies of Virginia. Should nice. be interesting. <laughs> have it, have you had a lot of experience turkey hunting? No, I'm definitely not a turkey hunter. Um, I'm actually going to be on the camera tomorrow. And then if our friend Matt, if he kills one, then I'll hop on and try to get after him. He's got a ton of land, like permission to hunt and a ton of birds kind of located. Um, so at least so he says, so we'll see how it goes, but mm. If you know Matt, then you've got to take it with a grain of salt <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, it should be interesting. Um, I, actually, he was saying, he's like, yeah, I want to shoot one first. I haven't killed one in three years. I'm like, yeah, I haven't killed one in 12. So, you, but you can go first. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You can. If we're going to play that game. Yeah. <laughs> turkey. I mean, turkey hunting is a good time. I, I get more excited for it every year, but I'm not like the sold out. Like I have to, if, if there was an opening day that I could miss and be okay with it, it's probably turkey hunting still. Yeah. Um, but yesterday I did drive all around to the different properties that I can hunt and it was in the evening. So it's different, but there were turkeys everywhere. I mean, like all over the place and Here's- it got, it got me pretty pumped. Missouri does they open a little bit later for I mean they're not like a southern state but I'm always like shocked how late your season opens yeah we open on Monday so the 18th um I I actually talked with a couple guys from the NWTF yesterday and they were saying that's a great thing like if you're seeing if you're seeing Tom's uh strutting if you're hearing gobbles and 
you still have like a couple weeks before your season opens, they're like, that's amazing for the population because mm -hmm. that means a lot of the hens are going to be nesting already. And the competition for you, like competing with, with hens, it's going to be a lot better for yeah. getting a, a Tom to come in. And so I was like, oh, cool. You know, everybody, I feel like everybody has issues with the way their state wildlife agency manages things. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I've just got to know and trust, like, they want to continue our opportunities to hunt and fish. Like, that's how they get paid. That's yep. how they have jobs. And well, typically they get into that field because they love this stuff also. And so just trust the process unless it's a catastrophic failure and you lose your entire deer herd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've gotten pretty close with a couple of guys from the Wisconsin DNR just because of what we've done with 2% for conservation last year. And we raised some money for those guys and uh, everyone that I've talked to there, I mean, their heart's in the right place. I think, you know, a lot of times it's easy to pick on them, right? Yeah. Um, it, they have a very tough job. Um, and oh, yeah. I think for the most part, they do a really good job. At least, I mean, I can speak for Wisconsin's DNR. I think that they really truly do try to make the best uh, environment. They try to make the best experience possible for people to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. What you mentioned, you guys are 2% for conservation. You give 1% of your time. What kind of uh, projects have you gotten involved in? So last year, and Jimmy can talk about this a little bit probably better than I can, we had a conservation day, which was in August, and we had a ton of awesome manufacturers that gave a bunch of product to us. We did a couple of live podcasts at the at a local bar. We ended up raising like $6,100 uh, in one day for uh, what we just were generally saying conservation efforts in Southeast Wisconsin. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. We had uh, a couple of guys from the state came down and talked about some of the initiatives that they have going on and kind of did a question and answer period where they, you know, people that came to the event could ask questions about wolves and elk and deer and Turkey and all the things that are hot button issues in Wisconsin. And um, what we ended up doing is that money went to opening up uh, more access uh, place in Michigan, Wisconsin, which is pretty close to where my house is. Um, so that money is going to kind of in habitat improvement. So they're going to go out there. It's public property. It's walk-in property. So that money's, you know, going to be used to, I think what they were talking about is put a driveway in. So there's parking so people can access it and get into it. And then just kind of clear out some of the non-natives, the species or the plant species that are in there that aren't supposed to be there and just, you know, optimize it and make it as uh, good of an overall general property as, as possible for not just, you know, hunters, but bird watchers and, and people that like to go out and mushroom hunt and stuff like that. So that's kind of awesome. a neat, kind of a neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, like you kind of mentioned as, you know, being 2% certified, 1% of our time, 1% of our money. Um, and then the, that day, like our community conservation day, it's actually like every year, 2%. Um, I think it's August 21st is like the official day. Um, so we'll probably just continue with it on like the third Saturday in August. I think it is because it's easier to be on a Saturday. Um, so we did that event and we are continuing to try to build upon it this year and then into the future. Um, so although it's like 1% of our money, but then that was extra. Like, so that one fundraiser was extra and it was a ton of fun. And for year one, I think it was a, a pretty good success. And um, we're actually going to start hashing out 
we've already kind of hashed out the most of the details for this year. So we'll have to let you know about it and see if you wouldn't be willing to come up. I mean, it, it was, it was great in the bar. I mean, they were gracious, like as one of the title sponsors, I mean, free drinks all night. Cause they, they just kind of gave it to us. And even though that's not what it's about, it's a perk. So, I mean, it's no, fine. I bet you that got <laughs> attendance numbers way up. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it helps when you're giving away free beer, you get people to come out and they're more willing to spend money on the silent auction items because Man, they know they're getting beer for attending free. your <laughs> event, you know, just for the free beer. Uh, we'd welcome oh, yeah. that actually. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's super, <laughs> that's super cool. Uh, I, I need to talk to you guys about something and get your thoughts on it. And I might need your connections with the DNR because I've been talking, uh, for a couple months now with different people about like the hunting heritage in Wisconsin and the traditions that we used to have that just seemed to be kind of disappearing. Uh, I don't know if it was like this when you were growing up, but when you would shoot a deer, you'd take it to the local gas station or store or bar or wherever they had a check station and you could weigh your deer you could get your picture with the polaroid and it would get tacked up on a cork board and it was like every night like as soon as shooting hours ended you'd all be showing up to the same place and you'd be looking in truck beds and you'd be talking about stories and i absolutely loved that like that was one of my favorite things in one year when i went back to hunt they were like oh yeah it's all electronic now yeah you don't have to go check them in and i i keep i started it out as a joke but i was like man i'm gonna make it i'm gonna start a movement to bring back check stations because one i feel like as far as local economies and hunting communities go like i can't imagine how much more money this tiny little corner store right next to where we hunted they they had to have made three months worth of their wages just during that nine day gun season. Yep. Like there, there are so many benefits to it. And even if it's not like a mandatory thing to have some type of incentive, uh, as far as the DNR goes to, to offer people like, Hey, if you go and physically check it in and we get a weight and measurements and all this stuff, like there's some type of perk that you can get, you know, I feel like it'd, it'd be a lot of fun. I'm the perk for me was you used to get the little metal like clip, like that yeah. would go in the ear tag. You know, I've got a, bag of them somewhere i'm sure i don't know where i did with them i was actually looking around to see if i have them in here i don't but they don't you don't get that anymore no i miss that too i do i think that was one of those things where you literally whether you got anything or didn't you would go like for us it was like the gas station in the bar so yeah. you'd go to either one of them after that day's hunt just to see who killed what like literally just drive up to the gas station to see what's in the bed of people's trucks yep. it's, and i miss that too because now you just kind of you know go maybe still go to the bar but you know, people don't have like the check stations. They're not bringing their deer there. They're usually hanging it on a meat pole or something. So you don't get to see it. So it is, I agree with you, man. I'm behind that movement. I'm I'll be the, I'll be your chair on that. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even if they don't, uh, like I said, make it mandatory. Um, it might just be something where I have conversations with, with different, uh, businesses around where I hunt and just say, Hey, listen, I think this would be a cool deal. I'd help you advertise it or whatever. And then all around the all around the state and hopefully all around the country, because I know a lot of people have gone to uh, checking them in electronically. I mean, but, obviously, outside of the ease of the factor of just making it easy, I wonder if there was any other reasons as to why they got away from that. I mean, to be honest, I think it also kind of keeps the honest honest, because once you go there and you yeah. get you're, you're punching your tag, like there's nothing that's making you 
punch your tag, uh, you know, for a, a registering a deer now, like, yeah, you know, not, it's kind of always was on that anyway, but you know, I think that there's probably more room for a, to just forget. Cause I can tell you, there's been times where I'm like, Oh, like literally getting ready to drive home. Like I have to register my deer. I haven't done that yet. And yep. so you got to go on and do it right away. So I think that there's probably not that, you know, I would use the same tag. I once would punch it and be punched, but I think there's probably, unfortunately people out there that are like, eh, I can get away with it. Cause no one's going to make me register or check a deer in physically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do. I've got a couple other people on board. And even if we just hit a string of like a certain type of uh, establishment, whether it's a, a chain of gas stations or restaurants and make something happen to where you could not only have it have a big buck board right there at your local one, but it could also be entered in for a statewide deal. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to an actual registered check station, um, who knows, we'll make it happen. I keep talking about it. I have all these grand ideas and then I never do anything with them, but this one I'm probably the most excited about. We could probably do some kind of half rack thing for that too. Maybe there's a way we can get them to give them a snack pack or something. Oh, we'd, sign up. we'd sign up for that. Get them to use our, uh, our gambrel hoist. There you go. Um, that's that's what I was thinking, but I think it brings up an interesting point <clears throat> with, I mean, we both, we all kind of said it earlier is like shooting what you're excited about. And I mean, I think, I mean, that could play into the fact that those experiences and those meetups, I mean, it takes out the camaraderie of hunting and it may, I mean, it could even be argued that the online check-in and not having to be around other hunters and whatever, like it, it's making the barrier bigger for people's pride to get in the way of where I shot this deer and, and how, and whatever. And it's, you know, it turns into, well, this is my spot. But like, when you have that person to person interaction and in anything, which, you know, it's like why a phone call is better than a text 99% of the time, you know, you know that people are coming from a good place and you're just, you're just excited as they are that they got that deer. I mean, I know I could speak for myself. I'm sure both of y'all like, if I was chasing a 170 somewhere and the neighbor shot it as long as you know it's legal and whatever like I mean good for him like that's that's what it's about um and I think that that could play into that it might take yeah. me a few days but I'll get there how to be like yeah. good for you well yeah. you would just, you would just <laughs> as an excuse to to be upset I would say the right thing <laughs> yeah that'd be that'd be a tough one like chasing after a deer that's happened to me before yeah like a number one buck that I've been after finding out somebody shot it, you know, down the river in mm -hmm. the deer around here, they'll pick a river or a Creek bed and they'll just run it during the rut and they'll just go scent check every doe bedding area. And yeah, I didn't find out actually it was about this time. Cause it was, it was Easter weekend that I found out the following year that it actually got shot opening mm -hmm. day of rifle season. And I hadn't heard from anybody. So half um, of it's like, even when that you just want to, look at it like you want to be able no, to look at it and hold it hands like, on it. it exactly and that was the nice thing i did get a picture of him holding it and i was like oh my gosh i mean like he was every bit as big as i was expecting him to be and but yeah it was definitely bittersweet you know yeah. uh it, but to have the closure is also good like even i would rather that than go three years not knowing what happened to a deer yeah you know? i I have a situation with that too, where I hunted a deer for like three years and I had a name and everything. And I don't know what happened to him. He just, you know, I'm, I don't know if someone killed him. I don't know if he got hit on the road. I don't know if he died from old age and it's just, and I know he's gone. Uh, Cause I never saw him last year and he was pretty regular for like the first three years that I've hunted him. 
and it just sucks not knowing what happened to him. And yeah. now I'm at the point where I like, I would like for someone to be like, yeah, look at this deer I got. And I'd be like, yeah, good. At least I know someone got him and he's on somebody's wall. Well, and going, and going back to like the check station, it, it would be so cool. I would love one day to see a guy at a gas station with a certain deer in the bed of the truck and be like, Hey man, I don't know if you have any history with it. And if he's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, I've got three years of trail camera pictures. Yeah. Like I, I'd gladly send them to you just so that you can show like, Hey, this is the deer throughout or, Hey, I found his left side last year. Mm -hmm. I feel like it belongs with the deer, you know, mm -hmm. doing that for a total strangers, probably a little bit different for most people, but I would love for somebody to do that to me. If I shoot a buck, that's just kind of nomadic and doesn't know, or like he shows up on the property for the first time and I have no history. I would love to know the history of the deer um, from somebody else. So, yep. Well, I agree, guys. I I think we could probably sit here and talk for another like two hours, but I, I know you probably have stuff to do. Um, I've got a lot of editing to do today, so that's what my day is <laughs> going to be filled up with. And then I've got to finish getting all of my turkey gear together because I only have two more days, and then I'm waking up early to go chase some gobblers. But nice. Before we hop off, uh, I want to give you guys a chance to share with the listeners where they can find you guys, where they can follow along, um, another pitch for Half Rack, and, and where they can go purchase or follow along on social media. Yeah, um, so Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, I mean, if you type in Half Rack, we'll pop up, but um, Instagram is half.rack. Um, website is half-rack.com. Um, I mean, we've got our full assortment of gear on there. I mean, like Josh said earlier, it's um, opening price point, so good prices, but our approach is like improvising on quality and design upgrades, you know, tone on tone, you know, nothing super flashy, but neutral on brand that goes with everyone's assortment. Um, again, you know, we want people to cheer for us and, um, you know, we can't give up too much details yet and they're definitely still working themselves out, but I think I could speak for all of us at Half Rack that we're pretty stoked about what we've got coming down the line. Um, that it'd be it'll turn some heads. It's some game changers. So that's kind of our approach for the future as well. So be interesting to see how people react to it. Nice. Yeah, we're we're in probably now close to maybe a hundred, probably hundred plus now independent dealers, a couple farm chains as well. So you can buy us at brick and mortar retail as well and um we have i think if we don't we will have soon a where to buy segment on our website where you can find out where those local dealers are and you know we just appreciate it. we know people have a lot of different choices especially in the categories that we sell it's just you know if we can be a little bit different and uh, people understand that we're giving back to you know the the conservation element of things and um you know we're we're a brand where we want to be all encompassing. We really want to create kind of that family um, tribe type uh, atmosphere. And uh, we just, you know, would appreciate anybody. And we've already appreciate everybody that's been on board and um, the growth. I mean, we've literally only had product for, I think, to sell for less six than months. eight, yeah, six months. So the growth that we've Dang. experienced in six months has been awesome. So uh, appreciate everyone who's already gone out and supported us. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like uh, as a hunting community, as an outdoor community, um, I, I can speak for myself and my friends. We love, we love when there's a culture 
around a brand and you can see that within the brand not i mean even just on social media that comes through on the websites that comes through and so when it's when it's all about that it's easy to hop on board and support well we appreciate that well thank you guys so much uh we're gonna have to do some more uh conversations here in the future and good luck jimmy good luck on your uh on your not out of state but you know a couple hour drive for your turkey hunt hopefully you get something and i'm hoping that these toms keep getting out in the fields here but i'll be coming up to wisconsin actually next week josh so i might have to hit you up yeah man uh, see if we can't get together look me up i've got like i think three turkey tags for all different units in wisconsin my season my my first season comes in next week Oh, sweet. So, and then I got an out-of-stater coming up in a week or two, too. So, But, yeah, the turkey will be going full full send here for me real quick. That's sweet, man. It's, it's all kind of kicking off right now, so I'm pumped. And uh, good luck. Thanks again. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a ton of fun talking with Josh and Jimmy. And Half Rack is just such a cool company. Not only do they make awesome products and they're super involved in the outdoors, they also love conservation. And so there's an event coming up. It's called the Community Conservation Day. It is going to be on August 20th in Waterford, Wisconsin at Spanky's Sports Bar and Grill. And the whole thing is a fundraiser to benefit conservation. So be there if you can. I'm going to do my, my best to make it. And actually, on the whole event train, there's another one coming up. My man Braden let me know about it from Go Wild. Go Wild is hosting a an outdoor-focused music festival and an archery event called the Send It Slam. And they're doing this in partnership with Black Rifle Coffee Company. That event is going to be happening on July 9th, and it's in Louisville, Kentucky. And I may have a couple VIP tickets that I'm going to be giving away here soon. So keep an eye out on social media for that. It's, man... I just love going and meeting up with people. I love meeting new people, whether it's from companies or just other hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen. Like there's something about it, meeting in person, all hanging out, sharing stories. I get a little bit long-winded when I do that. I mean, I'm sure you already know that because you listen to the podcast, but if you can be at either of those events, I highly recommend it. Hope to see you there. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a TikTok or something together, but In between now and then, hopefully you guys are getting out and finding morels or sheds. I keep seeing people finding this stuff on social media. I'm struggling to find any of that, but I am getting excited about doing some food plot preparation, and I hope you guys are gearing up to do the same. So until next time, always choose adventure, and God bless.